Hello, Marvelites! Welcome to This Week in Marvel, episode number 359. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jamie Frevely, a.k.a. Agent Punchy. Yes, Jamie, we have so much to talk about this week. Top news is Marvel Spider-Man is the best game ever. That is my decree, and I'm saying it here. It is now law. I wish I had the chance to take off time to play. Uh, I am very angry to be at work this week because I should just be sitting at home with a cat on my lap playing the game. And I'm sure many of you listening are loving the game as much as me. But another big top news, aside from the greatest game of all time, we've got release dates. So you could take home Marvel Studios' Ant-Man and the Wasp digitally in HD and 4K Ultra HD and on Movies Anywhere on October 2nd. And then on October 16th, take it home on Blu-ray and Blu-ray 4K Ultra HD. The full list of bonus materials can be seen on Marvel.com. I am super excited to see the Tim Heidecker outtakes and the deleted scenes. He plays the boat captain, and I cracked up. every. T- I saw the movie three times in the theater. It just died. I, I'm a big Tim and Eric guy, so I he's love great. him, yeah. and I love Tim and Eric, and I almost forgot that he was in it, but now I'm going to just pretend he's the star of the movie. And watch these outtakes over and over. It's going to be great. Uh, You guys may have caught our bonus release this week, which was the trailer for Wolverine the Long Night. Our first scripted podcast. The first two episodes are available right now wherever you get your podcasts. With the rest of the 10-episode season arriving weekly after that. And to celebrate the wide release, our interview this episode is with Brendan Baker and Chloe Persinos, the directors and sound designers of the show. We also released a bonus earlier this week with Raven Metzner, the showrunner of Marvel's Iron Fist. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this awesome second season later in the show and what we got most excited for. Uh, But this brings us to things we're hyped about this week, including news. Marvel's Iron Fist gave us a teaser for season three of Marvel's Daredevil, and it is dope ominous and intense, and makes you extra excited for Season 3 to release later this year. You can watch the teaser on Marvel.com. This week we announced the 2019 Marvel Unlimited Plus membership kit, and it is dope. The Marvel Legends Venomized Punisher figure is only available in the kit, and uh, I have one on my desk, and he is delightful. Plus there's two Venomized variant comics, a Fantastic Four patch, a Thing pin. It's a hell of a solid box. You can subscribe at Marvel.com slash comic slash Unlimited. It's, it's pretty neat. This is that's the thing about the Marvel Unlimited Plus boxes. They give you figures you can't get anywhere else. There was a really cool Captain Marvel Carol Danvers figure a while ago. Some really cool stuff that they put in those boxes. Greg Stone should be aware of this. He will very much want one of those figures. We have a ton of fun comics news and announcements hitting because next week, the catalog of all the Marvel books coming in December comes out. So some rad stuff that I I flagged for this week. X-Men, The Exterminated is coming in December. It's a one shot written by Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler, who wrote the recent Cable book, but also with a story by Chris Claremont, which is really, really neat. And it's got art by Neil Edwards and tons more. And it's basically saying goodbye to Cable and celebrating his legacy and dealing with loss and grief. And uh, a lot of it is about Hope Summers, a character I love, and how she's dealing with this and how the X-Men are going to have to help her through it. We also have a new Winter Soldier series coming, written by Kyle Higgins with art by Rod Reese. And uh, I I looked at this list and he's he's becoming a quote-unquote fixer. (laughs) <laughs> which I love, working to help others leave behind their lives of crime. This is, I Aww. like this idea. It's Bucky like channeling his own pain and his rage into a productive, personal way. Aw, Bucky making good. Yeah, he's going to help others find the redemption that he found. But as is the case with most good deeds, it will not go, what is that saying? No good deed. No good deed goes unpunished. Yeah, it probably just will not go 
all the ways he wanted to. As is life. Yeah. Life is want to be. Now, we talked about The Big Wedding coming to Fantastic Four, and that is in December. That's Fantastic Four number five, written by Dan Slott with tons of artists on it. Aaron Cooter, Adam Hughes, Michael Allred, and it's the big special 650th issue of Fantastic Four. So it's a double whammy of wonderfulness. And uh, in the solicit, it says, no bait. No switch, not a dream, not a hoax. We swear not a single scroll around. This is really happening. And then, you know, they go on and say, you know, this is the wedding of Ben Grimm, Alicia Masters, featuring an untold tale of the courtship of Ben and Alicia, which I can't wait to see. Aww. Plus the bachelor party that Johnny Storm throws. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Plus well, the ceremony. I'm there. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, I'm also super duper looking forward to Seasons Beatings number one. Uh, we have a great. <laughs> History of Holiday Issues, but that is written by Jason Latour with art by Chris Browner, Veronica Fish, Irene Strakowski, and so many more. And it's Jason is the best. He loves wrestling. He loves puns. Seasons Beatings is perfect. I feel like there's no going wrong with that. It's something I really want to see because I'm a sucker for holiday themed stuff. I really want to see Moon Knight and Ben Grimm have Hanukkah together. We've definitely had a, um, there's a Ben Grimm Hanukkah story from one of the specials. There might be a Kitty story as well. Yeah, they're def- they're Aww. definitely in there. Yeah. Love it. Okay. One of the things I'm most excited for, and I know so many of you are as well, is a new Miles Morales book. Miles Morales, Spider-Man, number one, coming in December by Saladin Ahmed and Javier Garon. Holy crap. This is The Tasty Juice, as Niccolo would say. Uh, And this one is cool. It is really about Miles being your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. You know, like getting to uh, the threats against the neighborhood rather than the multiverse. As Saladin says in an interview on Marvel.com that Jamie did. You can read that. Um, Yeah, they're going to be supervillains, but, you know, threats that speak to our times. Saladin says he'll be doing those kinds of battles while also trying to deal with bullies and assistant principals and canceled dates. And it's going to be perfect you guys i don't even understand it's going to be so good uh one more for us x-force number one is coming in december it's written by ed brisson and art by dylan burnett who's working on cosmic ghostwriter right now and then this is a another sort of fallout from cable dying in extermination so cable's dead and now the original x-force team of domino cannonball shatterstar boom boom and warpath are going after the murderer of cable who is kind of also Cable. You guys need to read Extermination. If you're not, I'm just going to confuse you, so I'm not going to go down that road. But it also has Deathlock and a reckoning for somebody. So I'm very excited for that one. We also have a new trailer for Marvel Rising Secret Warriors. You can check that out on Marvel.com and on the Marvel YouTube. Marvel Rising Secret Warriors will be available on Disney Channel and Disney XD Sunday, September 30th, 2018 at 10 p.m. I've been loving the comics for Marvel Rising and the shorts were so good. So this is like the deliciousness of all of it together. I hope you guys get a chance to check it out. I'm very much looking forward to it. I know uh, some, some folks who've been working on it. They've been really into it. So it's great. Really neat stuff. Super fun. And finally, Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel bursts into theaters March 9th, 2018, but we got our first look thanks to magazine Entertainment Weekly. Titular star Brie Larson graces the cover of EW and inside, goodness gracious, it's a cosmic array of new looks, details, and awesomeness. Now, you'll need to pick up your own copy of EW to get the full lowdown, 
But we know half-human, half-Cree Carol Danvers is part of an elite Cree military unit called Star Force. The Skrulls are the antagonists in the film led by Talos, and it's set in the 90s. EW has a bunch of great images from the film, and you can see images of Carol rocking a Nine Inch Nails tee, Ronan, Nick Fury, and plenty of other characters new and old in the MCU. This was a great first look at Brie Larson, who is a superhero in the acting game, in her Captain Marvel glory in not just one, but two suits. I love that Brie's wearing a Nine Inch Nails tee. My first concert was Nine Inch Nails in 1994, and I had a tee very similar to the one she's wearing in the photos. Everyone's talking about the Nine Inch Nails tee, but I can't get over Brie's Rachel Green hairstyle. The long layers that were on nearly every woman's head, mine included, is bringing me a lot of nostalgic joy. Okay, before we get further into the podcast, I want to remind you guys that Marvel's The Pull List is now separate. We've had a divorce. They oh, are no. living in separate feeds. We're all a little shaken up by it. But, but it's amicable. It's Yeah. It's amicable. Yes. We're going to uh, have joint custody of listener attention. And Tucker. And <laughs> it's all going to work out. No, Tucker. Tucker has moved out. Oh, we it kicked is him out, huh? very traumatic. Oh. But- Reminder, you've got to subscribe to Marvel's Pull List feed. Just search Marvel's Pull List wherever you're listening to this, and you can get that feed. Now, a reminder that the books that we picked as our favorites this week were Fantastic Four, number two, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, number 36, Journey into Mystery, The Birth of Krakoa, number one, and Iceman, number one. Those were our picks. I'll try to remember to keep reading our picks every week just to give you a little taste Okay, but that's enough about Polis. Go subscribe to that. But this episode, we wanted to talk a bit about some of the rad stuff to look out for and what we loved in Marvel's Iron Fist Season 2, which is streaming now exclusively on Netflix. We get into, you know, a little bit of spoiler territory, so be forewarned. Be forewarned. Yes. Yeah. Uh, If you need to, to pause, that's cool. This is your chance. We'll wait for you. We'll be right here when you come back. But yeah, cannot recommend more. Watch Marvel's Iron Fist Season 2. You're going to want to. And some of our reasons. First and foremost, the action is so good. Oh, dude. We know that was a key thing that showrunner Raven Metzner wanted to focus on. And fight coordinator Clayton Barber brought the ruckus. From the first episode, we've got a couple of neat battles in there, including Danny and Colleen whooping butt together. We see right away that the bar has been raised. It's totally clear this is a much more confident fighter Danny's badassness was on display this season. These fight scenes were so awesome to watch. You really get to see Finn Jones bring it. And when he gets to bring it with Jessica Hennig as Colleen Wing, it gets emotional. Their attachment to each other is so vital this season. And that is a story all by itself. I just, the fight scenes were just really dynamic, and you could really see that some serious attention was being paid to them in a very mindful and thoughtful way. Like, these were great fight scenes. Yeah, well, Clayton Barber, he's no joke. No joke. Number two, Davos is a badass and a fantastic antagonist for Danny and Colleen. Now, comic fans know Davos as the steel serpent in the comics, but while the show's Davos is inspired by the comics actor Sasha Dewan gives such depth and life to Davos's pain and his frustration and, and his entitlement and his rage. So good. And like so many great Marvel antagonists, I'm not saying villain, antagonists. Yes. You can sympathize and see his point of view. Yeah, I also didn't want to call him a villain, even though that's kind of the default setting when you see a show like this. But once again, Marvel's 
quote unquote villains are not really villains. You can under they're given a reason for why they do everything. And in this case, Davos, he's almost justified in being kind of upset and wanting to seek the Iron Fist. And I loved watching him be a really emotionally developed character with true conflict that he was trying to overcome. Because this is what he has been fighting his entire life for. And it made total sense that he was really kind of going to do this at any cost. So he was really compelling to watch. You may not agree with all of his actions, but you can understand his motivations, which is so important. Uh, One of the coolest things we get into in this season is the legacy of the Iron Fist. Who does, who should, who would like to, and who has harnessed that power. The Iron Fist is bigger and it's more important to the world and the people that it touches than just the single person who holds that title and power at any given time. Seeing what it means to Danny, to Colleen, and to Davos helped drive this season, and it gives it even greater weight. Plus, we get a glimpse at some other Iron Fists, especially those inspired by fantastic comic stories, such as we've seen in the Immortal Iron Fist. That was so rad. It's very cool. If there's anything I'm a sucker for, it's history and lore, and that's what season two really hints at delving into more is the mythology of the Iron Fist, past Iron Fists. But yeah, there's more to the Iron Fist than just Danny Rand fighting a dragon. And we definitely get hints of that. And it makes it an even deeper show than it was before. Heck yeah. And speaking of Iron Fist, holy crap, Colleen. Holy crap, indeed. Colleen Wing is... Okay, this is a massive spoiler warning. So just wait. Oh, and you're back and you watch the scene I'm going to talk about. It's when Colleen lights up her Iron Fist. I cried. Legit cried. Legit cried. Sobbed on my couch. This is us style. And Colleen is such a thoughtful character. I mean, she's been betrayed by what she thought was her family last season. And she's still getting over that. And seeing her kind of find her own way and then embrace this new role is It was so meaningful to me. And she embraced a few different roles this season that kind of put her in a whole new ballgame. And it was Colleen Wing is my hero. (laughs) She is totally my hero. And also that fighting. She's so good. She's so good. Jessica is is a boss. I wish she could teach me martial arts. I would go to her (laughs) dojo. I would call her sensei. I would just let her beat me senseless until I figured out how to unbeat myself senseless. Heck yeah. But we can't forget Colleen and Misty Knight. BFFs. Oh, they're the best. Uh, The scene of them at the bar is probably one of my favorite scenes in any Marvel TV show. Comics fans know Colleen and Misty have been the Daughters of the Dragon together. So seeing them work and commiserate and hang and fight and be awesome together even more in this season, it is so special. I cannot get enough of them. I wanted to be a Daughter of the Dragon at San Diego Comic-Con. It didn't really work out. So I'm like a redheaded stepdaughter of the dragon. And I'm fine with that, but watching these two together, their relationship is so cool. And there was a line where Colleen said, I don't even know you that well to Misty, but for some reason they just have a connection. They understand each other. They've both seen some crazy stuff, and they have a lot of common ground coming from very different perspectives. So when they can put their heads together and combine their perspectives, they're unstoppable. Heck yeah. Yeah, that was really awesome lady power in this season. We're also really fascinated by Alice, Eve as Mary and Walker. Uh, The first scene of her in her apartment, getting notes to herself from herself. It is heartbreaking, but neat to see Alice, Eve actually make that transformation. Like 
her uh, the way she acts and she does it she's so good she is so good alice eve is one of my favorites and every time i see her i wonder what she's gonna do and this was this did not let me down so there's we see mary and mary is this sort of like she's i'm I'm new i'm from wisconsin and she writes herself notes and we don't really know why yet and then she just she folds things her folding is so delightfully weird and i loved watching her just get really weird and quirky and then suddenly alice eve brings out walker and Walker's a badass. Walker is scary. She's like Linda Hamilton in The Terminator. And she's a force to be reckoned with. And again, we don't really know why yet until you keep watching. And it ends up being... The payoff is really interesting. And um, it really makes Alice Eve a force to be reckoned with just as an actress for doing these two kinds of roles. Yeah. Uh, Typhoid Mary in the comics who inspired Mary in the season is... a. Definitely a scary, cool villain. But the show's Mary, she feels real. And when Walker's out there, that's the scary part. Like, that's the danger right there. And I think that was a really uh, cool way to to give this character life. Yeah, like, you don't know what you're getting with Walker because she seems very ordered, but at the same time very chaotic. That one aspect of Mary Walker is two sides of the same coin. Heck yeah. Now, these are just a few of the points that we wanted to to hit on and we got excited about. So make sure to watch all of Marvel's Iron Fist Season 2 right now on Netflix. And then let us know what your favorite moments and aspects of the season were using hashtag ThisWeekInMarvel on Twitter and on our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash ThisWeekInMarvel. And now before we get into our interview for this week, let's talk a little bit about a little show I like to call Marvel's Wolverine The Long Night. Jamie, I like to call that because that's what it's called. Oh, well, that's a good way to introduce it because you want people to be able to look for it. Heck yeah. Now, Wolverine The Long Night just released for free, and this is our first ever scripted podcast. You can hear it right now online or in your podcast app. Wherever you're listening to this, you can listen to Wolverine The Long Night. And it starts when a fishing boat is found off the coast of Burns, Alaska. Oh, what can ever happen in Alaska that isn't weird? But who are our secret agents? Our special agents are Sally Pierce and Tad Marshall, and they have to find out who killed the crew on the boat, and who's their primary suspect? Well, judging by the title of the podcast, it's Logan. (laughs) He's a drifter. He's a drifter. Logan. Just a dude who just wants to live, you know, just wants to live his simple life, wear his flannel, have his dungarees on. That's Logan. Maybe a denim jacket with his jeans. You know? Oh, yeah. He's Canadian. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the local police, they won't cooperate, and there's more going on in Burns than meets the eye. And this is cool. I love the cast here. Of course, we got Richard Armitage as Wolverine. You may know him as Thorin from the Hobbit movies or just being awesome. Yeah, or Uh, just being Richard Armitage and being, yeah. He's terrific. Now, our agents are uh, played by Celia Keenan-Bolger and Otto Asando, uh, and they're terrific. But we also got Bob Balaban. What? Bob Balaban. <laughs> Bob Balaban. Bob Balaban. Scott Adsit and yes. Chris Gethard uh, are all in the show. It's super fun. You haven't heard anything like this before because the sound design, the acting, everything is amazing. Listen to Marvel's Wolverine The Long Night for free wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, so our, as we mentioned, our interview this week is with Brendan and Chloe, the uh, directors and sound designers for Marvel's Wolverine The Long Night. And it's we get into like sort of how they worked around the sound and, and some of the cool techniques they did, but also like their careers and fun stuff. They were great to have here and, you know, get perspective on the show now that it's all done and it's out there. And now that a, a new 
group of people are going to start checking it out and getting into it. So hope you guys give it a listen and enjoy it. And for now, just uh, get a little behind the scenes action with our interview with Brendan and Chloe. Brendan, Chloe, how are you guys doing? Great. So yeah. Glad to be here. I'm psyched for you guys to come here and talk about Wolverine the Long Night. It's so weird because I've been at Marvel for a long time and I, you know, thinking about these scripted audio shows and, and how watching this program come together. Uh, Dan Fink, who I shared an office with for a long time, Hello. so excited. <laughs> and like, I would always like, oh, I'm going to take my earbuds out and listen to what he's talking about. <laughs> and so it, it's cool that, you know, the show came out and it feels like it just launched yesterday, but it's been a little while. Now we're actually here with the sort of wide launch where everybody's going to be listening to it and checking it out. And it's going to be great. Um, so first, what are your Marvel origin stories? How did you get exposed to Marvel characters and, and stories first? You know, for me, it was like reading, you know, comics that I got at the used bookstore next to the laundromat where my mom and I went uh, every Saturday. Mm. You know, what was it for you guys? Yeah, I mean, for me, I remember watching the X-Men animated series growing up, and that was my first introduction to, you know, all of the different Marvel X-Men characters, specifically in the X-Men world. And then, you know, I think I remember there was this uh, roller disco in the town that I grew up with. It was called the Roller Garden, Um, and they had uh, an arcade there. And my friends and I would crowd around, you know, all the various player, like multiplayer video games and then the X-Men video game. And, of course, everyone wants to play Wolverine, right? You have to fight for it. Yeah. What about you, Chloe? Um, for me, I grew up in America, like us all, so I like <laughs> saw the blockbusters as they happened. But I've definitely been like the person on the team who, you know, a draft of episode six comes in, and I'm like, oh, okay, so hold on, Wolverine can heal. Got it. Okay, so I'm the person on the team that like protects listeners who don't, who aren't like super familiar with Marvel canon to make sure that there aren't canonical references happening or just like assumed knowledge happening in this series that people will just be confused by. I'm sure uh, Mr. Benjamin Percy wanted to throw tons and tons of stuff into the (laughs) script. Deep references. Yeah, Yeah, deep cuts. Well, it's a synthesis of all of these perspectives, right? Because Ben does have this really, really deep canonical knowledge and will find ways of folding it in in subtle ways. And then, you know, if we're ever confused, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. Chloe's on the other side of the perspective. And then together we have to make a product that is going to work for Marvel fans and it's going to be also exciting for podcast listeners who maybe this is maybe one of their first ventures into the Marvel universe. Which is so exciting to have Marvel be in this space and have people like us podcast listeners like exposed to this world via this like cinematic sound universe that we've built. I think that's really cool. I love that perspective because that's what's made sort of our our films, our television, and for the longest time our comics so successful is that, yes, we get deep and there's there's stuff that people are going to recognize because they've been reading or they know these characters so well. But I've seen just being here so long how many people have come into the universe because of the broad themes, the the accessibility, and it makes it so much better because then they start going the deep dives. Then they become the long-term fans and they're like, oh my gosh, I want to know about this thing. I want to, you know, learn so much more. So having that multiple perspectives is so important. Yeah, Yeah. I think so too. And I've had a lot of people who are like public radio people because that's our background. We're public radio journalists first and foremost. um, And now we're finding ourselves in this audio fiction world. The bright lights. (laughs) (laughs) Big city. (laughs) Um, But I've had more button-down public radio people come and tell me like, I didn't know that like characters were so important to Marvel. I'm like, 
yeah. It just, it just fell apart. I saw well, your body it's, it's their first, it's their first exposure sure. to it. You know, they just hadn't, you know, so this is the first time that they're seeing it in their medium. Yep. And now they're enlightened. Yeah. So totally. there you go. He's still recovering. I think you'll, you'll be okay. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Um, okay. So talking, you both, you know, working so closely on the sound design for the show. I want to learn a little bit more about the, like the ambisonic microphones you use. Cause I heard that term and I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. What is that? What does that mean? Yeah, well, so the idea of using ambisonics actually comes more from like originally this aesthetic intention that we wanted for the series. So like we knew going in that we didn't want it to be, we didn't want it to play into tropes of like 1950s radio drama. We wanted it to sound contemporary and, you know, for a a modern audience. And I think one of the issues with a lot of sort of classic radio drama is sort of like right now, I'm like right in front of a microphone and my voice is really close. But um, I don't get to like reach out and interact with you without, you know, messing up the sound quality. But what if that messing up of the sound quality could actually tell us interesting things about what the characters were doing and how can we portray it more like a full three dimensional scene? So that was like the, the starting point. That was the first question. And then this technology, ambisonics, is actually something that was developed in the 1970s. And it was this really obscure recording technique. And it's sort of had a second life now because of virtual reality. So what the microphone is, it's a single microphone, but it has four different microphones pointing in different directions in a sphere. And so you can record everything within a sound field. That's what they call it, the sort of three-dimensional sound field. Mm -hmm. And you can actually hear once you listen in headphones and you have a computer kind of doing all the analysis of the different microphone signals, you can hear people walking on the side, in front of you, all the way behind you. And thinking about, you know, I want a character to be, you know, driving in a car and then like getting out of the car and running out of the car and, um, you know, meeting up with another character. And so it allowed us to think much more theatrically and and less sort of just on the page. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's super cool. The the microphone becomes more like a camera because we're not so worried about like the directional aspects of what you worry about with most mics. And so we were able to interact with the actors and say like think of this more like a set like you can touch things and you can move around and maybe like if there's an argument happening in two characters we hear them kind of like walk away from each other we can feel the tension in the room as opposed to just kind of having these like static clean signals on their voices that don't give you that kind of data about the room and and the feeling in the room. And at the end of the day, that's kind of the important thing is that the actors are interacting with each other. They get to really be their characters and not sort of be stuck to reading a script in front of a microphone. They get to sort of lose themselves. And it's kind of the best thing for them because unlike film or television, they don't have to get in costume. There are no lights shining at them. They can just kind of go into a room and like become this other person and and play. You know, The only thing we're picky about is their footwear choice. (laughs) <laughs> because, because we want the right style of footsteps. So if you have like a wealthy character, you want to hear a fancy shoe. Lots of clogs. Lots of mm-hmm. clogs. How did you know? I mean, you know, I'm I'm they call me the sound man. <laughs> um what is the what are recording sessions like? Because I you know, I've been into recording sessions for some of our animated shows and what I love when we do those, the actors are together. So they get to interact with each other, but they're static. They are standing there, they have their scripts in front of them. This, I just imagine, I imagine it's almost like you, you've got props, you've got elements there for them to work with. Yeah, I mean, we do our best to sort of give them the basic props so they can interact with objects and interact with each other. So the, what it looks like is, you know, it's, it's a recording studio. We usually go to a, a post studio. And in this case, we had uh, a special studio that had 
um, it was a Foley studio. So what that means is there's like a sidewalk built into the floor so you could actually walk on the sidewalk and get the sound of someone's shoes. And these like panels that you push up and one has like gravel in it and one has like a separate one has leaves and little sticks and maybe some sand. And that was so fun. And when the actors saw that, they're like, oh, I get to do my own Foley work. Like, this is amazing. And it allowed us to have that sort of sense of play. Like, we have these props here. Let's just figure out interesting, creative ways to use them. And sometimes that required a little bit of improvisation in the moment. And so it was a mixture of that kind of improvisation. And then also um, we had these like sort of almost like football diagrams, like X's and O's of like where characters needed to be at certain moments just to sort of chart out the beats of the story. Like blocking for a play. And that allowed people to, you know, get a sense of how the story was going to evolve over the scene. And then the other thing that we did that was interesting is um, we recorded some of the scenes outside, like on location. We found the summer camp up in Westchester. And that was something that was Harder for us to fake in the studio is the sense of like being outside, being in the woods, having a character kind of shout from the distance and um, really getting that sense of reality. And there were other challenges with that. Yeah, like at a certain point, we realized that we were in the midst of what must be like airplane rush hour. The whole morning we had these long stretches of quiet and then all of a sudden it was just plane after plane and we could only get like 30 seconds of clean sound. And with the ambisonic microphone, it's a really big deal if you hear a plane overhead in rural Alaska, which is where we were supposed to be yep. simulating. Oh, man. Now, you guys came from your background as the you know journalist, public radio how do you get into the space of thinking about directing like this? Because that is very different from just like sitting down and recording, you know, a regular audio show, if if that even exists. Like, how did this approach come together for you guys? Yeah, well, you might be surprised. It's actually not as different as you might think. We do this sort of very particular kind of audio storytelling, which is long form. It's highly produced. Um, oftentimes we're sitting with people, having them tell us their life story And that might be like over the course of 10 hours sometimes. And then you go back and you take all of this recording, all this tape is what we call it. And then you edit it down into the most, you know, your best understanding of what the truth of their story is. While also holding like storytelling ideals in mind of making sure there's tension and conflict and a climax. And I think one of the other things you're doing is like you are helping guide them tell their story. So you're asking questions, you're thinking deeply, you're trying to live inside of their story. And here we're doing the same thing, but just, you know, with fictional characters and with actors. So it was a similar kind of process. I think the part of our brains that get excited are, are similar. If you could stick us in a brain scan and see the same areas lighting up. <laughs> I hear you, though. I remember starting and being like on set with Richard Armitage and Bob Balaban and being like, what qualifies me to tell these people what to do? Like, oh, my God. But at a certain point, I just realized that one of the things that we've done for our whole careers is just listen to hours and hours and hours and hours ad nauseum of like normal people telling their stories. They're not storytellers. They're not actors, but they speak in the way that we all speak. And so there are moments when we're listening to the performance happening and we're like, "Mm, I think the emotion here if I were to imagine what this real character would be thinking is like slightly different and mostly just because we're so tuned into like the nuances of the human voice and how emotion is expressed and and that kind of thing. So not that the actors aren't equally qualified in that way. They're just coming from a different direction. Like they can't use their face like a tool that is just usually so important to their work. And so we're kind of there to help 
coach them as to the way that when you're only performing with your voice, how do we need to think about that? Yeah, one of our actors, Otto Asando in particular, was, I think, um, very good at like just finding subtle ways to react in a moment, like things that were not scripted, but his his little inhale inhalations and, and um, vocal expressions we would actually have little outtakes when we're editing, like, oh, we need a little bit of an auto reaction right here. I think the other thing is, like, we're not just directing on set. We're also directing in post-production and editing. And that's part of a director's role mm -hmm. in general. But we're cutting, you know, syllable by syllable, word by word, and really making sure that every little tiny sound is being thoroughly considered. And so that allows us to have a, a subtlety of expression that you might not even get in television, you know? We're maniacally detail-oriented in our public radio work and in our fiction <laughs> work. It definitely shows. I guess it doesn't show. It it, it comes off in uh, when we're in the long night. It's just it is really well done. Oh, thank uh, you. And I'm, I'm excited for more fans to to check it out. Now you know there's not as much for most of the sh of the the series, but there's action and fight scenes and and those things. What was the most difficult part of conveying all that without visuals? Well, you know, one of the first questions when Stitcher approached me about this project was, how would you do a fight scene in audio, you know? Or would you do a fight scene in audio? <laughs> first question. And, Wolverine. I and mean. it's Wolverine, so the answer is, yes, you're going to do a fight scene, but, like, how are you going to do it? And uh, at the time, I had been listening to a lot of sort of really weird experimental electronic music. It's called Music Concrete, where basically you take sound effects and arrange different sound effects in order to create rhythms and um and so that was kind of in the back of my mind is like well what if you did sort of a music concrete version of a fight scene and that led to the idea of well if you're going to do a fight scene not only is it going to have to be probably shorter because uh you want to hold on to the audience's attention but it's going to have to be very musically driven music is going to be the backbone it's going to be more impressionistic more sound effect driven and less about like who's up and who's down at a moment-to-moment, -moment, you know, basis. Right, because you don't have that satisfaction of, like, watching the tension of the push and pull. So unless it's musically driven and it feels like this just, like, crescendo of sound and chaos, it doesn't really work. So that's the tack that we took, and I, I'm really excited about it. We also... Um, We'll say that there is a Wilhelm scream somewhere in <laughs> the first season. So uh, if anybody can find that. Which we spatialized ambisonically, so it might not be right in front of you. Oh. Uh -huh. There you go. Neat. Take a little look for that. <laughs> yeah. For those who don't know what the Wilhelm scream is, oh, yeah. it's in most movies, television. It feels like it's everywhere. It's that I think of it in Star Wars. Star Wars uses it very like right up front. You, you hear it. It's that. Ah! Ah! <laughs> it's a very particular scream. It's not like ah! or, it's it's or the like, scream Whoa. of a of a, a like a, a minion, like a bad guy just sort of getting to me it's getting them the getting snuff tossed. kicked out of them. Yeah. You know? I think of it like ah! an explosion, they go right. yeah. they're, they're off to the side. I love that. Um I, it was really fascinating when you said, you know, how you you work with um on your, your journalism, uh ten hours of recordings and then whittle that down and tell a great story and sometimes what are the it's probably like 20 minutes half hour an hour oh, yeah. even uh, shorter and yeah. shorter you know thinking about were there other elements of you know when you were working more on the journalism side or coming up that way that really trained you for what you're doing on this show 
I mean, one of the things that comes to mind, uh, so the show that I used to work on um, that Chloe also had an episode on, we used to do a podcast called Love and Radio. Um, Great and show, still exists. Yes, it's, it's an amazing show. And it's part of the idea behind the show is that um, we interview morally complicated, complex characters. And Chloe in particular had a really great episode with a character who you're not sure if you're supposed to identify with them. You're, you're not sure if you're supposed to be sympathetic with them. The story is about a man who um, you realize over the course of the first few minutes, you see him getting attacked in his home by someone random who said that they found his address online. And then you realize that this is a man who's living on the sex offender registry. And from there, there's a long conversation kind of about like what life on the registry is like. And obviously the really disturbing crime that he perpetrated, we never quite talk about, but talk around. So that's part of what we're trying to do with Logan is show him as a complicated character. Mm. You know, um, people know and love him, but he also has this really dark side to him. And this was a unique opportunity to think about, in particular, his memory as a big lens for exploring that dark side of his personality. And, you know, from a radio storytelling perspective, he's actually not even front and center for a lot of the season. His story is being told through other people. So the way the series works is we have these investigators coming to the small town Burns, Alaska, and they hear about a series of murders, and Logan quickly becomes one of the suspects. So you hear about him from a distance, which is a great way to initiate fans who aren't really familiar with some of the nuances of Logan's character. And then as these investigators start, you know, interrogating people, interviewing people, we hear bits and pieces of the story and have to start kind of making our own decisions about what really happened. And that's a similar kind of thing to, you know, our approach in journalism is like you want to show, you don't want to tell, you want to give the audience enough information to make up their own minds about what's happening. Yeah. And it's one of the things I love about the Marvel Universe is that our, particularly our villains, but all of our characters are multi-layered. You know, there's yeah. something that has driven our characters to be who they are. When you look at Spider-Man, the, the his hubris caused his uncle to die, which sent him down a path. And his guilt and then his responsibility, that drives him 10, 20, 30 years on. Logan, as you guys know, has dealt with so much. I mean, in the comics, he's like murdered multiple children of his, sometimes inadvertently. Sometimes See, I didn't know that. Yeah, that it's upsetting. Yes, very much so. But even our villains, and you were talking about this this person that you did this story on, Dr. Doom or Magneto, you think of them as like megalomaniacal villains and now they want to take over the world. But no, there's a lot more to it. Magneto wants to protect mutants and his people and he's he's lived through genocide Mm -hmm. and so that's what drives him or dr doom is the leader of a country who wants to make sure his people have the best for themselves he's also just an egomaniac but anyway no one no one exists in a vacuum yeah you know yeah i think another thing that that prepared us you asked like what from our backgrounds in journalism prepared us to do this kind of work and i think it Audio and radio, it's like a very fragile medium because uh, you don't have beautiful B-roll to keep a listener's attention. You know, like as soon as they lose interest, it can happen so quickly, like you've lost them. And in order to catch them up, they'd have to skip back and they don't usually do that. So like one of the things that we've trained ourselves to do is become so finely tuned to any moment where we feel at all bored 
or a little disinterested. And I think that when we're in the editing room, it's not that the performance wasn't great. It's just that for whatever reason, the chemistry of the way the scene's coming together, you can feel your attention flag a little bit. And so we go in and we swap another take. But that's one of the things when Brendan was talking about, like how finally we manage even word for word, mixing different takes, creating pacing, using music. What we're doing is we're trying to make sure that we still have you, that the story still has you. Uh, and it's 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 kind of a fun and strange talent to have. <laughs> it's like, am I a little bit bored right now? Yeah, okay, it's time to change something. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, Benjamin Percy and his 30-page pitch, which I just, like, having met uh, met him and, like, his deep voice, that, that does yeah. not sound like that at all. <laughs> I don't know why I went, like, I'd like to hear him voice. do the Wilhelm scream. Ooh, oh, that would be good. Record that. Yeah. Yeah. But he's got this wonderful deep voice, but, like, I can picture him not just pitching this, but, like, acting it out. What part of the process did you get involved with him and, and you, Chloe? Where did you get involved? Like, I'm trying to put this all in perspective of where his pitch came in, where you came in, where you came in. Yeah. So um, Ben and I were kind of being hired in parallel tracks simultaneously. Um, so I, I did not write a 30 page pitch, but I think I wrote like maybe a 12 page kind of aesthetic treatment. Not like, long this enough. Is... <laughs> Sorry. N- not, not quite uh, long <laughs> enough. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was talking about uh, things that interested me uh, as a storyteller, you know, as a radio storyteller and wanting to find ways of pushing the boundaries of what is possible to do with audio storytelling. And so when I finally saw Ben's pitch, you know, I noticed a lot of overlap between our ideas. I'm like, okay, well, if we're going to have these investigators, then these investigators are going to go and talk to people. We're going to hear their stories. Okay, so from a structural audio perspective, that means that we're going to have a past and a present. And we're going to have to sort of find a way to transition in audio from past to present. And to Chloe's point about managing the audience's attention, it's like, how do we show that that's happening without doing the sort of flashback, you know? Chimes. Turn the page. We need to do it it in a way where the story is, is telling us and showing us that there's a transition happening, that we're going inside the person's story. So that's the kind of stuff that I would have been writing about. And then, you know, like I said, Chloe was on my radar already as being just an amazing audio journalist and storyteller. Thanks, Brendan. And, uh, and I also wanted to work with someone who was really going to understand that kind of weird texture of going back and forth between the past and present. And, you know, from our first meeting, I think it was very clear that not only that you were excited by the idea, but you should tell me how you Yeah, well, I mean. so I, I don't want to embarrass Brendan, yeah. but Do um, <laughs> one of the... He's one of the producers who inspired me to make radio before I made radio. Thanks. And so when he approached me, um, he had heard through um, a friend, a mutual friend that I was freelance again. And he called me and he was like, hey, I have a project I want to talk to you about. And I was like, OK, awesome. Like maybe this is Wednesday. You like you want to meet want to meet Friday. And he's like, actually, no. Um, can you come tomorrow? And I need you to sign this NDA first. <laughs> and I was like, what? It, what? Sure. And then I show up and he's like, OK, so it's Marvel. And I was like, interesting. And I was just really excited and as an opportunity to really hone my sound design chops. So I said yes immediately. I was so excited to see what this journey would be for us. It's neat. I like that. Now, for the show, as as listeners who haven't listened to it already will find out, there's there's kind of a little bit of an X files vibe to, to some of the things. And, of course, we have our, our more POV characters, uh, Agents Pierce and Marshall. How do you guys balance the almost buddy cop feel, that, that the banter, the back and forth, which 
that is a great way to hook you in. As someone who listens, it's like, oh, you want to get more of them and what they're dealing with each other. Yeah, I mean, I think part of uh, how we did that was by examining the arc of their emotional relationship over the course of the series, and it does evolve over the course of the series. And I think the other thing is like finding ways to take them apart, like put them in different spaces so they can come back together and discuss what they've learned. So over the course of the story, Pierce will go and investigate a librarian and, and Marshall will go investigate the grieving mother of one of the victims. And from a storytelling perspective, that's really helpful because then we get to have them come back together, compare notes. And we get and to see what they're like in different spaces and get a sense of their personalities when they're not together versus mm-hmm. when they are. Different interrogation and interview techniques and, yeah. and all kinds mm-hmm. of fun stuff. Yeah, that was it was neat. And I, I'm sure Logan himself is such a challenge, too, because he's so well known, whether, you know, it's someone, you, you know, him from the films animation you know the cartoons video games he's had a bunch of appearances or just the comics he's so well established in some ways but i feel like when we get more into him you you get this especially richard's performance is really captivating really good so good what are the focus points that you wanted to hit on for wolverine for logan as a character that you felt maybe even talking with marvel that you had to nail in producing this yeah, I mean, the memory was sort of his big, the big new kind of possibility, the new area that we wanted to explore here. I mean, we've known for a long time, obviously, that Logan has a, a cloudy memory. He's trying to find out where he came from, what happened to him. In this story in particular, in addition to that, he's also running away from something. And we don't really understand what that thing is yet in the series. And that sort of starts to unfold over the course of the story. But... um I'm really interested in what it must be like for him, given the fact that he is so instinctual, like he's like living on instinct in a way. He's living on instinct without really understanding his past or what happened to him. And like, what would that feel like? You know, what would that be like for me? How would I live my life? How would I deal with my emotions? How would I have relationships with people? And it creates this really interesting, rich ground to explore, like what is going on inside of his head? Why is he acting the way he's, he, he is? And on some level, he doesn't totally understand it himself. Not yet. Mm. Yeah. One of the things I always love about Wolverine is the fact that he's functionally immortal, you know, in some ways. He's in the comics. He's like 200 years old or whatever. And he's mm-hmm. seen so even though his memory is has always been very hazy. He has lost so much and he understands that everyone else is could fade away and will die and sometimes because they know him and that the tragedy of of his life is just so sad but so compelling it's really isolating yeah yeah and i think that that's definitely reflected in the setting that ben chose in burns alaska rural remote alaska we see logan just like pulling himself even farther away from the people he loves and the places he knows well in order to kind of both protect them and escape from himself yeah. But, you know, like a classic Wolverine story, he gets sucked back in. Like, that's the whole point. He can't escape. When mm-hmm. will he learn? <laughs> Never. He's got to live on the moon or something. Uh, all right. Before, uh, one last thing I want to talk about before we, we split is that, of course, the show's been on Stitcher Premium for a while. Now that it's available on all podcast platforms, wherever you get your shows, are there any cool Easter eggs or little tidbits that we can share uh, with fans' favorite moments? Maybe you guys would like listeners to really key in on when they start digging into the series. Well, you know about the Wilhelm scream. That's one of them. Somewhere in 
in the series. Uh, I think the other thing is like the the series was designed to be listened to twice. Um, there's a twist, and once you have experienced the twist, the hope is that you'd go back and listen to it a second time and try to see, knowing what you know now, how the story might be a little bit different. Notice things you didn't notice the first go around. And I think the other thing is like, you know, we always would talk about like our ideal listener. So many people listen to podcasts while they're cooking or in the car. On the train. And you absolutely can listen to the story in any of those settings. Um, but our ideal listening environment is, you know, someone who just wants to close their eyes, put on headphones, maybe lie down in bed and be transported into Burns, Alaska. And uh, if you do that, uh, I can guarantee that you're going to get sort of the, the most rich, deep, surround, immersive experience. And that's, that's what we designed the series to do. Yeah. It's like meditative, the way that people should, you know, just like everything, cut everything else Lock out. Lock out the world. Yeah. Well, it's Take like deciding deeper. to sit down and watch a TV show. Same, same thing. Yeah. I like it. Thank you guys for coming. Yeah, I'm really good to talk about this. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to everybody checking out Wolverine the Long Night wherever you get your podcasts. All right, that was a great interview, if I do say so myself. I conducted it, so I'm I'm pretty pretty into my work. As an objective observer, uh, I agree. Yeah, pretty great. Deal with that, producers. Uh, But. Time for community. We've got a ton of tweets in here from you guys, in part, thanks again to Greg Miller from Kinda Funny. It's really neat. But first, Tech Lord uh, says that Champions number 24 was a surprise. He also brings up a point about our feed, which is totally okay. We're working on the feed stuff. Don't worry about it. We got it on lock. Give it, give it like a, an hour or two to, to be fully ready. It's like you get it. And then it's got to cook a little bit more in the podcast servers. We got a couple in here from our boy Simon. He says, I did enjoy Ask Guardians of the Galaxy number one. I'll be interested to see how they explain that last page. Oh, me too, Simon. (laughs) Me too. And his Twim of the Week for September 5th was Immortal Hulk number five. Word. We also got a tweet from Amanda to all of us, including Tucker. Thank you for always being so positive and uplifting on your podcast. Sometimes comics Twitter can be a negative place, so it's always nice to escape that with This Week in Marvel and the Poll List. Amanda, thank you so much. That's all we ever want to do is be like a cool place for people to just chill and smile and laugh and talk about fun stuff. Yeah, and pizza. Oh, man, I'm hungry. Uh, Jody, Tolkien fan forever, who I've not heard from in a long time. So glad you're back, Jody. Uh, says, Modek as a cat, would that be Meowdoc? Yes. Hashtag Kirby A to Z. And now I think we're going to get into so much Marvel's Spider-Man for PlayStation 4. So many comments. I asked, you know, on Twitter, like, hey, what are the, some of the favorite things that you've done in the game? And you guys came out so hard. People are having a lot of positive, great, good feelings about Marvel Spider-Man on Twitter, and it is just lighting up my timeline. It is honestly right now one of my favorite parts of going on Twitter. At Quart of Denmark echoes comments I've seen a number of times saying, using the web bomb on enemies, then the webion that blows them away to walls. The gadgets in this game are so fun. I've got one that sends out a little drone, and so you could have three drones flying around at the same time, and just like, zip, 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 zip. Once you start getting used to, like, switching your gadgets and doing all the stuff, it's so fun. Where does he keep all of his gadgets? Don't you worry about it. It's all good. It's all good understand but i'm willing to suspend my disbelief whatever anyway go ahead at spiders (laughs) underscore unite says finding most of the landmarks and references in the marvel universe the most delightful thing is 
you go through and you've got all these landmarks, all this Marvel Universe stuff that you like check off on your checklist. You've got to find these things. Then there are like a ton that are secret that you don't know to look for. Like Nelson and Murdoch, it's not listed as one of the things to find, but you can you can find it. You can take a photo of it and you get like a little special thing, which is great. Like the Lockjaw statue. Yeah, I was just going to say, I saw you found Lockjaw. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. So it's so cool. And there's tons and tons more. At Spidey PS4 2018 says, discovering the twist and motivation that drives Martin Lee, did not see it coming and absolutely loved it. Yeah. Stephen O. Young is so good in that role, that dual role. He is fantastic. At Jmaldo25 says, mine are the Jameson radio show clips and the photo mode. Hands down, the Jameson radio clips crushed it. I picked up one in here because I tweeted about there's the fifth Jameson clip and you get these little like minute long things of J. Jonah Jameson and his radio show. And he's just ranting and raving about Spider-Man. And one of them, uh, he's talking about all the bad stuff that has happened because Spider-Man's been around. He's like, Nazis made of bees. (laughs) He's literally called, he yells about, and I was, I died because Swarm is the Marvel character who is a Nazi made of bees. And the fact that that got a reference in this game made me so happy. Gavin Perkins, uh, who uh, Gavin's awesome, says, so many things which are just plain fun in the game, from obscure Spidey references to the photo mode. Gotta say, though, the simple act of swinging around the city is just, just pure joy. 100% agree. I saw people excited that you, you know, when you stop a crime, EMTs and the NYPD actually come to the scene. Oh. They speed around the corner. They get involved in things. It, it is a living, breathing world, which is so neat. At Coffee and Cinema says, one of my favorite things in the game was when I helped a homeless person to find some place to stay, then realizing the weight and groundness the hero would have with me. Beyond relatable, it was extremely human. Makes me love Spider-Man even more. So tremendous. Uh, oh, all right. One last thing. There's just a great pride flag uh it is new york city and there's this great pride flag on the side of a building so many people have tweeted pictures of it uh i haven't actually seen it in my game yet i'm excited i want to go and take a picture there put it on cover and it's gonna be great love it uh that's it for this episode of this week in marvel make sure you follow and like uh and subscribe to our facebook page is that a thing you do that is facebook.com slash this week in marvel uh i'm agent m on twitter and i'm jamie frevely on twitter and please all of your tweets provide a vast improvement on Twitter. So tweet us all the time. You guys are great. And our email address is twimpodcast at marvel.com. We'll be back with another episode next week. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jamie. This is Marvel. Your universe. Your universe.